welcome to the first podcast that we at The Lever will be releasing, hopefully the first of many, as we want to broaden out some of our repertoire from just doing text pieces and tweeting and posting Facebook statuses to more audio interviews, things like that. My name is John Lawrence. I'm a member of the Lever editorial group, and today we'll be discussing base building, the base building tendency, which has been developing in the United States over the last several years, um, and has kind of culminated at least in the Marxist Center Network. Um, today, uh, I'll be talking with uh, Marx Ziengast, um, who many of you may know um, from his recent stint in prison in Turkey on the so trumped up charges of uh, terrorism for engaging in journalism and political activism. Many of you will also have read his pieces in Jacobin. Um, we're discussing the base building tendency, um, some of the possibilities uh, through this style of organizing, and also some of the issues, um, and uh, maybe hopefully bring in a perspective that's slightly different from the American or Anglo-American perspective that we've seen so far. Uh, Max, welcome. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. Thanks a lot for having me. It's great to be uh, well on the first podcast of The Lever with you. <laughs> thank you very much. Now, it's great to have you here. We, um, we've known each other for a little while, um, and this is something that I know that you've, the kind of base building, um, dual power stuff, I know that you've uh, been following um, as best you can, given your recent circumstances. Um, so I kind of wanted to start by, I guess, getting your view and your opinion. Um, and kind of because I've uh, we've talked about some of the activism that you've engaged in in Turkey and how it relates perhaps to some of the uh, this idea of building a base rather than, um, you know, going on demonstrations, having you know a group of activists that are building for demonstrations regularly. Um, and that being the focus of your political activity, sometimes with electoral work, sometimes with, you know, for example, anti-war demonstrations. Now we've seen stuff with the war, you know, anti-ice um, demonstrations in America against the wall, against Trump, uh, moving more to a community, um, community organizing that essentially seeks to, well, build a base, build a base for socialist activity. Um, so, yeah, uh, what... What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing that we, I think, have to state is that if we look in global terms, I mean, there's some exceptions to that, of course, but in global terms, the, the left, uh, even in a broad sense, uh, is still weak. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, we would have to discuss the exact definition of uh, the left or well, what is left, but let's say in broad terms, um, a position that is... It, genuinely in favor of labor yeah. um yeah is on the side of the the oppressed the exploited mm -hmm. uh you know if he is so there's probably something a broad definition that includes maybe parts of some social democratic parties around the world if, if we're being generous for for now uh but even if we do that um we are weak right i mean in general, we are. I mean, there's some exceptions, as I said. Yeah. And this is something that has been going on for a long time, obviously. It's not a new thing ever since, uh, especially since uh, 89, 90. I mean, um, we have been on the defense at best. Mm. Uh, and most of the struggles that have been led 
uh, in terms of broad social movements, have been uh, defensive struggles mm. uh, in defense of workers' rights or other rights under social rights under attack by neoliberal policies and and so on. Yeah. Um, and now, I mean, we are in a time of um, a prolonged crisis uh, of the capitalist system. I mean, uh, it's not like 2007, 2008 any longer, but uh, capitalism, the capitalist system as a whole, again, I mean, there's some countries which are doing quite well, other countries who are doing exceptionally bad, mm. but as a whole, um, it doesn't seem to really recover, or it has, you know, might have consolidated itself for now, but there's no uh, real leap forward uh, of the of of capitalism yeah. as a whole. So, despite that, what we see is rather a rise of right wing, authoritarian, or even openly fascist forces, mm. and not so much of the left. So, mm. even many of the struggles, if you look at at Europe, like uh, continental Europe mostly, the struggles are again defensive struggles against the rise uh, of fascist forces. For the most part, of course, with some exceptions. Yeah. So in this uh, kind of the cycle of struggles that we have witnessed, especially since um, the late 1990s, beginning of 2000s, and there have been uh, a couple of important uh, events, so to say. The, f- the first might be Seattle. Before that, maybe the the Chiapas, uh, uh, the, the Zapatista movement, obviously. Um, yeah. But then Seattle, and then uh, the anti-war movements, in, especially in Great Britain and also in the United States, but mostly in Great Britain, even, I think, in, mm. uh, in Europe, uh, because the United States were caught up in a patriotic wave at the time, without much resistance. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, the crisis, and after the crisis, beginning especially 2009, 2010, um, occupations of crucial buildings or public squares and you have the occupy movements of sorts and the so-called arab spring which was turned in many places into something else um but it's still an important uprising and then some belated events like the gezi park uh, resistance in, in in turkey for example uh, which uh, was in many ways similar to the occupations of public squares, but had, of course, a specific touch because it was it arose from the specific conditions in Turkey. Yeah. And also what we had, what we witnessed as a result of the crisis was um, you know, movements like Syriza. You know, I mean, especially Syriza yeah. in Greece, which uh, was kind of, um, well, an attempt to get the potential from the squares, the you know, occupations of the squares, and the, the, all the anger and um, you know, despair about the situation in Greece, um, let's try to channel that into a parliamentary left force, uh, yeah. which ultimately failed. So, so yes. that's where we are. So this is kind of very broadly speaking and very superficially speaking, that's where we are. And in this situation, um, you know, in the United States, obviously, uh, something, a, a new trend towards socialism has emerged. However, this socialism is defined. That's a different question. Um, but whatever else happened with this, with Bernie Sanders, and then especially with the election of Trump, uh, was 
that a field has opened for us to have discussions like, like this and that actually have a resonance. Like we can talk about socialism, base building, um, you know, what kind of revolutionary strategy and tactics we should employ and all that, and it has a resonance. Uh, and I think that's important. And this is what um, makes this discussion going on in the United States and now also uh, to some extent in the United Kingdom so important. I, I, I really agree. Um, I agree with that. I think it's, um, it's a very important thing. I think one of the things as well, you know, we've had this opening up and I think you're right um, in particular with, with how, you know, under Bernie Sanders, um, things opened up and the conversations were, were starting to happen and particularly with Jeremy Corbyn um, and particularly around the election. I think actually both in 2016, the, two, the 2016 election um, uh, over Brexit called by Theresa May, um, hoping to solidify her gains, which saw Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party really, really challenge her and, and um, yeah. uh, kind of force the government into a, um, uh, basically into a hung parliament where they had to rely on a very right-wing Democratic Unionist Party, um, who's historically have been linked with um, uh, loyalist paramilitaries, um, yes. you know, murderers, loyalist, you know, terrorist murderers in, in Northern Ireland. And the election of, I think, you know, the... the slightly different but you know the, the bernie sanders moment where he kind of lost to hillary clinton uh, unfairly it seems you know there seems to have been a, a lot of work in the democrat party democratic party to keep that from happening i think there's as i'm seeing at least and particularly um with the most recent essay on base building that came out um i have to find the name of that because it's very important um that lots of people were sharing there is a general i think one of the things that seems to be making the base base building um, very important at the moment is that there is a there's kind of a general malaise I think that's swept into the left. You know, people there's a stalling. You know, there's, there was this great energy, this great rush of energy around Bernie Sanders and and around Jeremy Corbyn, and a lot of stuff kind of blew up around that as well. People doing different things, people getting into much more in the US than the UK. We've seen momentum has kind of wound down a lot more, but you know, in through the DSA and how that became a very hetero, heterogeneous um, organization with doing many different things. I remember seeing one branch fixing car, yeah. you know, car lights so they didn't people didn't get stopped by the police. Doing that kind of work, um, which has been much broader. Um, and I guess out of certain uh, out of this, you know, you see some of the base building trends emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the reasons why base building is becoming that is because people are tired and people are, you know, we're into the left, I think, in these places in in the case of both Brexit and, you know, the, the seeming, um, well, uh, the, the whole Trump situation they have in America um, and lib- the liberals in America particularly seem to be unable to think of a strategy beyond uh, Russia did it, Russia did it, Russia did it. Um, which has just been spiked by the Mueller investigation. They placed all their hopes on. So I think there's um, there's a genuine feeling that that wave of momentum wasn't capitalised on, and people I think are seeking for answers to that. And one of those answers that seems to be gaining a lot of traction is base building. Well, I, don't, I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, like kind of the, the broad, the sweeping assessment that I, uh, I made before. I mean, what that leads to is that uh, we we are weak. To say that we are weak means basically. We are not a mass movement, right? Mm. There is no socialist mass movement, uh, except for yeah, maybe some countries where there is uh, historically, like Cuba or whatever, or Venezuela to some extent, mm. even though there is now a very uh, hefty struggle going on over that. 
uh, <laughs> tradition. Uh, there is no socialist mass movement. Um, mm-hmm. there, there have ever been, uh, always been Marxist socialists, um, unions, uh, you know, some revolutionary unions, mm-hmm. many unions not being revolutionary at all, but you know, at least to some extent, still uh, having the interest of the workers in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we are weak. So and because of this, uh, well, there is an interest in socialism uh, in the United States, which is important. I mean, uh, it's kind of the heart of the peace, right? Like mm-hmm. it's still, mm-hmm. despite everything, the most uh, the strongest, most powerful imperialist country yeah. in the world. And so, from the from belly of the peace, we have an emerging discussion of socialism, which makes it particularly important. Mm. Um, the other thing is that there's still not a large socialist movement already. Uh, I think what was crucial, and from from you know my uh, some of the talks I had with uh, people in the United States within the TSA as well, was that their membership went up. The TSA membership went up after the Trump election, especially. Mm. So mm. in the first mm. two months after Trump got elected, so it wasn't Bernie in itself. It was when Hillary lost and mm. this whole lesser evil rhetoric uh, failed yeah. and you know the uh, yeah, most horrible uh, worst candidate possible one right mm, like, mm, mm. You know, even by bourgeois standards he's a disgrace yeah uh, uh, and he won and at that moment uh, people said well Hillary lost so this didn't work mm. so wait again who was the guy challenging her what was he saying that he was for democratic socialism and they Googled democratic socialism and they went to the DSA. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which just shows you that uh, even a small opening um, in the, kind of the mainstream political culture or mainstream culture can lead to much more radicalizing effects. So mm-hmm. what is now important is um, well, to organize that potential. And this is where base building tendency uh, comes in. Mm-hmm. This is where the, where the rhetoric of, of base building comes in. Um, so that's, I think, the importance of this discussion. Also, I mean, there is a tradition of um, base building in the United States, even though it, or, or you know, what what is understood as base building and dual power, mm-hmm. uh, there's a tradition of that, uh, especially uh, within the black radical tradition. Yes. Uh, even though they they didn't they didn't use different names for it, but uh, it amounts to something very similar. And also, uh, at least the Marxist center uh, clearly refers to that tradition of, of base building. So mm. it doesn't come out of nowhere, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, it's it's kind of uh, again on the agenda, and that's what makes it important. On the other hand, uh, by now everyone somehow seems to be a base builder. So I think we have to yeah. talk about that as well. So now it's kind of the buzzword, and everyone, yeah, of course we're building a base. Uh, we need to build a base, to, but what does that mean? Yeah, and uh, I think that that's um, exactly uh, we. Everyone is kind of you know everyone's building a base, and it's become the kind of it's become well for some to some extent. I think there's there's a kind of magic bullet thing about it, you know, and there's there's lots of I think very interesting and important analysis, um, broadly I think termed organizational materialism where people are i think are trying to focus there's been a, an attempt to focus on rather than the ideological differences and the focus online and there's a big critique um particularly in the us on the on the over focus on political line of your organization 
um, where people, particularly Sylvia Burns, um, in I think her essay, uh, there are only four types of tendencies in the US left, um, tries to split it rather not rather than, you know, these are Marxist Leninists, these are Trotskyists, um, these are whatever, you know, whatever anarchists, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're, they're broken down by their organizational type. The left has the US left has only four tendencies. So this I think is kind of an, an early example of um, of organizational materialism or the idea of organizational materialism. So the idea is that it's a more strict materialist analysis because it, it looks at what activist groups actually do rather than what they say. So she kind of says there's four tendencies, government socialists, um, protest militants, expressive hobbyists and base builders. Um, the government hobbyists being um, people who are focused around, you know, kind of in the Democratic Party, focusing on electoral um, and policy work, protest militant, uh, militants who, like they sound, they're militants who shun um, the work that government socialists do in many ways um, and funnel their work into street-based actions. She talks um, about uh, the Black Bloc, and Antifa practitioners, Black Bloc going back to the Seattle demonstrations, Antifa, although again a lot more prominent in recent years, and the Red Guards, um, of which we have seen particularly in Austin, LA, and other places in the US, the Maoist kind of movement, Gonzaloist movement, the expressive hobbyists, um, who apparently are very similar to the, um, the protest militants, talking about the Marxist sects, Marxist sects, anarcho-punk social scene, certain charity-style projects such as Food Not Bombs, and finally the base builders. Base builders start by recognising that in the US, the working class exists in economic terms, but does not exist as what Marx called a class for itself. A class organised through its own infrastructures, institutions, um, sorry, its own, uh, through a class organised through its own infrastructure of institutions, capable of consciously contesting with other classes for social power. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing. What she says, she goes on to say, is that most base builders prioritise workplace and or tenant organising outside of pre-existing unions. Mutual aid serves as a way to consolidate uh, those newly organised people into a durable framework of new institutions. But at the heart of base building is organising the unorganised and avoiding activist networking. So and that's this is kind of, I think, for many people, this was their first introduction to base building. Um, and I think it's it's quite a useful thing in the in the terms of the way that this tendency is starting to think. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, first of all, I think as far as my understanding that Sophia Burns and Tim Horace uh, are kind of the the two people who have uh, written the most about base building or kind mm. of paved the way uh, for the discussion. Afterwards, every you know many people have written about it, discussed mm. it, criticized it, supported it. Uh, made different interpretations of that, yeah. And both of them are involved with, uh, uh, I think, the, the Marxist Center is my yeah. understanding, and they're obviously they are also organized in doing uh, these things in practice. That are at least trying to do their best uh, in that regard. Mm. Uh, that they also write about, uh, especially I think Tim Horace is from the Philly Socialists, mm -hmm. and who are um, well, who have been uh, really. Uh, doing good work, especially with the tenants union. Mm. So it's not a surprise that uh, 
in this article, she particularly men mentions uh, workplace organizing attendance unions because clearly um, these are issues, right? I mean, workplace organizing um, is an issue because uh, the, the rate of unionization is extremely low in the United States. Mm. I, I don't know the exact, and I mean, there's right to work states and all that. So, um, yeah. much lower than the UK, which still has right. a relatively right. high level of unionization, although a relatively low level of union influence. Yes, but I mean, still, I mean, the, 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 the tradition of European social democracy, and not only in the United States, also in the UK, also like Germany, whatever those unions are, I mean, that's a different question, um, mm. still kind of shows itself there. There has never been a movement like, like that in the United States uh, of, of that broad of an influence like European social democracy. Mm. Mm. Uh, mm. So I think that's very important. That we uh, the same goes for Turkey, by the way. The, the rate of unionization in Turkey is 10%, and most of those unions are directly associated with the government. Mm. So it's basically non-existent. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you have to do workplace organizing. Um, besides from the unions, obviously, that is something that works. Workers' rights. Um, and the other thing is housing is a serious issue, uh, I think, in pretty much all major U.S. cities. Yes. So to have a tenants union uh, is um, a very obvious thing to do, uh, that you organize people around them, the most pressing issues of their lives, right? I mean, that's kind of the organizational materialism. Um, mm. You don't organize them around, you know, some ideas. You, you kind of, uh, yeah, address the, the pressing needs, the, the, the things they struggle with in, in their daily life, work, mm. housing, obviously. Mm. Um, and an even lower level then, uh, there's uh, food, right? Like mm -hmm. food, food banks or, or you know, uh, community kitchens organized, uh, yeah. you know, by some some initiative. And obviously, there's like the the, the breakfast programs of the of the Black Panther Party, which uh, are one uh, you know example of that, where yeah. you actually even um, on a more uh, basic level. Let's say people are actually starving in a rich country, country like the United States or mm. Europe, like uh, UK. Where this is, yeah, well, it shouldn't be the case uh, if you look at the general riches, but it is, and it's becoming more so even. Uh, so these, uh, this kind of organizing technique, which addresses uh, pressing needs and uh, seeks to alleviate uh, some of the the biggest problems of the people, mm. but at the same time. Um, Turn them into subjects of their own faith, right? This is what uh, mm. organizing has to be. I mean, this is uh, like what what we, the organization that that I'm associated with in, in Turkey, what we are writing about, is like that the subject, uh, the people becoming subjects of yeah. politics of their own faith. Um, so this is the thing. It's not just um, let's say uh, charity distributing or um, you know providing the people with uh, some basic needs, even though that might be, uh, you know, a good thing at times. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not necessarily against that. But the thing is that you organize people uh, to take matters in their own hands. Mm. That's, mm. Uh, that's the issue. Uh, it's the crucial difference. It's not just, you know, the breakfast programs uh, alone of the party, the, the, the Panther Party, mm. uh, wouldn't be as effective as their whole program and mm. totality 
to bring service to the people, but at the same time, um, get people organized and uh, get them to realize that they have to take the, those matters in their own hands, that they can organize themselves, yeah. actually, that they can organize their own neighborhoods. Uh, and obviously, I mean, we, you know that better than I do, with like things that are going on in, in, in Jackson, where mm. you have those things, community gardens and all that, right? To yeah, provide think... good, healthy food. And uh, it's not some authority doing that and then giving it out to the people. It's the people themselves doing it. Absolutely. I think I think it, it is the most well-developed of the kind of base building um, initiatives. Um, it's also part of the Marxist Centre network. But it's, it really was the, you know, this is the, I mean, the interesting thing about Cooperation Jackson is it has much, much deeper links going right back to the civil rights struggle, um, the struggle for self-determination in the Black Belt. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a struggle, you know, through cooperatives for economic democracy. Um, building those, um, you know, so it's like you say, it's not just about, um, you know, providing a service for people in need, like kind of a charities or non-NGOs tend to do in the US and uh, to an extent in the UK through mainly through the food, food bank network that we have here. Um, it's about economic, uh, well, economic empowerment for all the workers, uh, wherever they are in the supply chain. Um, and, and bringing that kind of wide range of economic activity under the control of the people who it needs to sustain. Um, that also throws up, I think, a number of, has thrown up a number of, of, of problems. I mean, particularly in Jackson, um, I think it's an, an, an important thing. So well, there, there's two points I want to bring up on. So in particularly in Jackson, we've had, um, there's the two wings of the movement there, the Malcolm X um, it's the Malcolm X grassroots movement, right. Cooperation Jackson, which have diverged in recent years um, under the, well, firstly, the, 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 um, the mayorship of Jackson under uh, Chokwe Lumumba II, um, after his father died very suddenly after assuming yeah. the mayorship the first time, um, becoming closer to the Democratic Party, which is who he, uh, you know, ran as a Democratic uh, he ran as Democratic mayor and further away, and there has been um, there's been a a, dis, a disjoint a disjointment of um, a disjoining uh, you know um, between the two wings of that movement. Uh, Carly Akuno has written several times, and there has been several kind of and there's been a long term internal debate about that. Um, but as I, say, I think you know the important thing is that it did come from the Black Liberation struggle, and I think the Panthers are an interesting thing to talk about. And this is one of maybe the first criticisms that you know we've we've at the level we published kind of criticism some of the base building tendencies early um, earlier on um, last year sometime actually I can't remember the exact date um, of the uh, the kind of where's the Winter Palace um, piece, which was a very uh, important I think critique on the Marxist Leninist trend in the United States. Um, by uh, Avery Minnelli and um, uh, uh, Elisa uh, Levin, I believe. Um, one of my criticisms of it, that I think there is something to be said. So we've, we, you've mentioned the Black Panthers several times, um, and in uh, the document by D.B. Cooper, all about that base, the kind of the, the guide to base building that's been published, the Panthers are cited as a as a key influence and self-defense, community self-defense is cited as something that's that's very important. But there is something lost, I think, when we don't talk about the black, you know, how the Black Panthers Party started. You know, we're looking on the 
on the heels of the civil rights movement, the Watts Rebellion, um, the assassination of Malcolm X, um, and, you know, the kind of the fateful night in 1967 where Huey Newton is driving around in a car with a, with a, with a shotgun. Um, the police stop him, attempt to arrest him, take it, well, attempt to take him out of the car, not arrest him, actually, attempt to make him give him the guns over, get out of the car. And they say, we're not standing for this anymore. Um, and you can come and take this, you can try and take this gun, but constitutionally, under the 14th Amendment, I'm allowed to hold a weapon, as I'm not concealing it, and we won't be pushed around by the police anymore. Um, and there is something about that. Base building, I think, is often seen as a, a, a tonic to the low levels of perhaps working mobilization that we've got at a time when the right has kind of been beaten back. So we're not having, in, in, in the US to the extent, the right is mobilizing more in the UK now, but a time in the US where the right is being beaten back, where the anti-fascist struggles on the street, um, you know, were actually largely successful. Um, but there is still not a revolutionary alternative. The left is still weak. Um, and, you know, it put a lot into those battles and apart from defeating the right, didn't get so much out of them. So I think, but whereas, and I know there's, there's, you know, the talk about, you know, it's not just about building the base, it's about making sure these things are linked together. But you had that resistance, you know, people started joining the Black Panther Party the very next day after, you know, and there were several other um several other altercations with the police in the early Black Panther days until the state of California, I believe, passed a gun control law that prevented people from 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 doing the thing they were doing and defending themselves and other black people against against police violence. And I think it's it's a very tempting thing to move away from political line. And particularly, I think one of the important things, and I mean, just to bring a quote um the important things is the kind of the idea that we're not in a revolutionary situation and there isn't one coming up in the u.s in a long time so the only thing we can do is squirrel ourselves away um and build the base and wait for a time when we can then activate that base through protest to um kind of herald a a revolutionary movement one of the things kind of i would bring from the where's the winter palace piece which I think sums up this kind of thing is, you know, it says, are we in a revolutionary period in the US right now? Clearly not. One would perceive a revolutionary situation arising sometime in the next several decades, but it's hardly on the immediate agenda. It's clear that our time is very different from Stalin's when the proletarian revolution is still our goal in general. It is not uh, constitutive of our current period in the way that it was for Stalin's. Um, in the way that we are not in a period of major revolutionary upheaval. Now, I think perhaps the issue of Turkey will come in. I think it might be useful to talk about some of your experiences because, you know, it's something of speaking to Turkish comrades that Turkey has perhaps been in what Lenin called a revolutionary situation um, since Gezi. And I think Lenin broadly just defined it as when it's impossible for the ruling class to maintain their rule without any change. Um, when there is a crisis uh, in, in one form or another of the upper classes, um, when the suffering and want of the oppressed classes have grown more acute than usual, and when as a consequence of the above causes, there is a considerable increase in the activity of the masses who uh, uncomplainingly allow themselves to be robbed in peacetime, but in turbulent times are drawn in by all the circumstances of the crisis um, and by the upper classes themselves into independent historical action. So I, I think 
you know, that certainly, I think, was a time that certainly describes perhaps the time of Gezi. I think at certain times since then, it can also be described, particularly in certain areas of Turkey. But we have a very different conception about what brings the masses into it. These are kind of these objective conditions, which we don't seem to have much of a focus on. You know, the idea is that there aren't the objective conditions, so we need to focus on building the subjective condition of organizing. And the way we do that is through base building. Um, well, I don't, so in terms of in, in Turkey, where, you know, there is a crisis, um, there has been an ongoing crisis um, in the upper classes, where there have been several uprisings recently, um, starting with the Gezi uprising or several abortive uprisings. Um, and when the suffering and what is certainly increasing, particularly with the economic woes that the, the Turkish state is going through, it's very different to the slow decline that we're seeing in the US and the UK. So what's your experience been? Yeah, well, uh, first, um, I, I think what just to remain with the baseball dis- discussions in the United States for a moment, mm-hmm. what I think is lacking uh, from, you know, they, they uh, like Sophia Burns, she draws a line between protest activism and base building. Mm. And then this becomes something of like, well, base builders just focus on the base and they don't go to protest anymore or they don't go marches anymore. Um, yeah. This is a distinction that in Turkey, for example, wouldn't make any sense to anyone. Yeah. Um, because it's very clear, and I think that is also the, the, the case, by the way, with Corporation Jackson, where you mm-hmm. have all the base building combined with um, a more larger political outlook, right? Like you, at least to some extent, I, whatever the the you know uh, debates are right now uh, about the. Uh, the leadership of of, of Chakwe Lumumba or, or whatever mm-hmm. uh, about you know kind of the bourgeois poli- bourgeois politics aspect of it, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to put it. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, it, they have a perspective that says like we want to get elected uh, into power. We want to have to you know, win the city of Jackson. Yeah, can, yeah, mayoral administration or whatever. Um, yeah. So there is an outlook in terms of political um, of the political uh, sphere, so to say, and not mm-hmm. just of the social sphere, because base building fo- focuses mostly in the social sphere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one needs to combine those two. Uh, that is the crucial thing. And Absolutely. you, um, because I think it's a mistake to just say, well, right now it's not a revolutionary situation, so we just lay back, uh, and we lay back in quotation marks, obviously, a hold back, that's better probably uh, and organize our base uh, that is i think a problematic approach because then what happens is you just completely dissociate yourself from what is the general political discussion right mm, mm. I, I mean there's the danger of that obviously. Absolutely. I'm saying that in, in practice the lines are so clear uh, yeah. and i mean this is what for example lenin always warned uh, against in uh, when he discussed uh, left-wing communism Mm. Uh, is that like for us uh, bourgeois elections might have not, not have any relevance anymore but if for the majority of the people they do have relevance yeah. then you cannot just pretend that they don't exist right absolutely uh, so that's I think that's a crucial thing um, like going to Turkey uh, I mean yes we could speak of I'm not sure if you could speak of a revolutionary situation I'm not sure if uh, the notion of a revolution situation um, 
should be loosely deployed in general mm. because uh, it's very peculiar, right? Like, I mean, we, we're going to discuss this. Lenin's uh, conception of dual power is very closely tied to the notion of revolutionary crises, and he yeah. employs those in 1970. So when mm -hmm. there is an actual like revolution happening and a process of dual power continuing, of yes. a dual power that is differently de defined from what the baseball tendency does. And I'm not saying that the Lenin definition is the one we should employ today. I mean, it's mm. a different historical circum circumstance. Absolutely. And I think it makes sense to employ a, dual a notion of dual power, which is more long-term. Like you can combine this with uh, a more Gramscian approach, like the building of counter-hegemonic uh, yeah. forces, uh, counter-hegemonic institutions and all that. And I think this is all, all very well thought. Um, so Lenin employs this notion in a very specific situation. And uh, I mean, it's always very dangerous to say um, that there would not be a revolutionary crisis anytime soon in the United States or the UK yeah. or any other country for that matter. Like, uh, it might sound crazy right now because the U.S. state is so strong and all that. But uh, let's not overlook that the Trump administration, whatever else it did, uh, you know, uh, seriously changed affairs within the United States, uh, within the state, the U.S. state, and also as far as the relationship of the relation of state and society. Goes. And this is precisely where uh, things can change very quickly. I think. I yeah. think this is. This is. I think this is really, really important. I mean, looking in the UK context, I mean, the last time that we could look at, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, again, it, we shouldn't maybe maybe throw the term revolutionary situation, but I mean, really, the miners' strike in the um, in the eighties. You know, I was speaking to a, a friend and a comrade who was active in the left at that time. Um, and, you know, it, it really was kind of martial law. You know, there was a police state in areas where people were fighting. There were open battles between the police and uh, the miners. And had things gone a certain way, um, we could have seen things turn into yeah. to break out into real violence, as they had been in in uh, the north of Ireland for um, a long time at that period. Right. Um, right. These things happen in 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 developed states you know these things happen in europe you know in the north of ireland was uh, you know there was an uprising going on for nearly 30 years um and you know for several periods of time i mean it's not long ago um that we had various periodic risings against jim crow in the united states and those things still exist i mean arguably ferguson you know i think arguably i think definitively ferguson and the uprising um uh yeah uh, the uprising there um uh, after the death of Mike uh, Mike Brown, by at the hands of the police officer, um, the murder, sorry, of Mike Brown at the hands of a police officer, yeah. can certainly you know constitute an you know an uprising of sorts. So I find the, and this is why I think part of it is becoming so popular as a symptom of the malaise in both of the left in, and 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 uh, are left unable to come to well and unlawfully sort of riven by several crises um, in the established left groups, left parties, Marxist parties, for example, the SWP in the UK. Um, the, yeah, you know, and, and the, the, the PSL has had various crises and lots of new activists are joining these parties or, you know, in the US in terms of the PSL, the Workers' World Party, which is also having its own internal crisis as well as the PSL. 
you know, they're joining these these things after learning about socialism and they're finding that they don't match, you know, they don't match their ideas and the leadership is not able to capture those that, that energy and change and, and mobilize it in a way that, well, as you know, people who believe they're vanguard parties, that they think they should do. We've had a smaller but similar process going on in the UK, although much more of it has been drawn solely into the Labour Party. Um, so I think, you know, again, this this kind of writing off of, you know, this is this is almost this is what we do when the wave, um, you know, when the wave pre- has crested. Um, I think it's very short sighted. To, or it can it is kind of short sighted to the extent and I know the idea is planning. Um, but I think, again, this is this focus on kind of I think almost to a point becomes kind of a vulgar materialism. Of um, you know, we only have to focus on organising the base. You know, our political line doesn't really matter. Yes, we will have our ideas on international issues and things like that. But ultimately, the base is where we need to be focusing. Um, you know, in our less in our essay, the Levers essay, um, where's the League of Struggle? I think we um, talk about the importance of theory. We talk about uh, the importance. You know, not so much of this dogmatic approach of line, but again, the the, the in keeping the dialectic between theory and practice going throughout these base building attempts. Um, sorry, that was me. I think you know, you were going to kind of go on to more about um, in, in Turkey. You know, you're saying how this this cutoff between you know the protest militants and the base builders, you know, it wouldn't make sense. So, would you like to speak a little bit more on that? Yeah, and on also just one final note. I mean, Greece, like, uh, the, I mean, we could say there was a revolutionary crisis, or there was at least, mm. you know, a, a revolutionary crisis. I would say we should be careful um, to use the term just for like socialism around the corner, right? Mm. Like, for example, in Turkey, socialism is not around the corner. Yeah. But there's a serious crisis, potentially a revolutionary crisis. I mean, that we can discuss, but mm. uh, with. Um, at least possible, uh, very progressive implications, right? Yeah. Which are not socialist in, in nature, but yeah. uh, uh, I mean, I, I will uh, kind of talk about that soon. So uh, when we look at Greece, like in 2007, 2008, um, who thought that like two years later, you would have those huge uprisings, protests, mm. uh, and a, a new party rising from a couple of percent, you know, mm. to power and all that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, obviously it did not turn out uh, in a revolutionary way, in a sense, but uh, that was an opportunity. Yeah. And I think uh, the, the Communist Party of Greece um, missed that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, massively. besides all the, other, all the other mistakes it made, uh, or, you know, the, the peculiarities of, of its ideology and strategy and tactics, it simply missed that there was something, a serious change going on. Yeah, And absolutely. even though uh, the people did not want socialism, you know, they did not say, oh, we want communism, but they didn't in Russia either, right? No. I mean, that, that was not the demand. The demand was land, bread, and freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and in, in, in Greece, it was something along the lines, we don't want to, uh, to pay these stats, and we don't have to pay for that, and we don't have want to have the European Union uh, basically erecting a dictatorship in our country, right? Yeah. Or kind of a protectorate. So, yeah. and that is a legitimate demand, and organizing against that is revolutionary. I think. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we have, yeah. So, uh, there we see that, that things can change quite quickly. And uh, it is very, very important for the left, for revolutions in particular, to be very open towards 
these minor fine cracks in the system, mm. right? Uh, we have to be very perceptive of those. And I think, uh, and here, uh, if we come to Turkey, that is precisely what we need in Turkey today as well. Like, uh, I mean, we talked about it before we recorded it. Like, we have the election mm-hmm. right now, today, we have the local election yeah. in, in Turkey. And the left is, uh, besides the Kurdish movement, um, there is no left, basically. Yeah. And that is our mistake. That is mostly the mistake of the left itself. The yeah. mistakes it made the last years since Casey, it precisely did not uh, appropriately uh, assess what happened in Gezi, right? And is paying the price for it now. Yes. But still, uh, the opposition seems to be making uh, quite good results right now. And this will open up cracks in the power block, in the ruling machine. And this opens up possibilities for a progressive alternative. So this is kind of the things, this is the way you have to assess politics. It's not socialism or nothing. Like, this is not the way, I mean, this is, might be as a strategic horizon, yes. But this is not the way how day-to-day politics works. I, 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 I completely agree. And I mean, this is uh, my frustration, I think, with a lot of the, uh, the left's approach to Brexit at the moment. Uh, you know, just a brief idea. I think there have been so many mistakes made. Um, by the left, um, you know, both within and kind of without the Labour Party. Um, I suppose the difference is there is a a left wing, there is a left wing major, there's a major political party that represents the left in some, in a way that it hasn't done. Um, Well, to be honest, almost ever, really, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party is something very, very new in that regard. Um, you know, you have kind of the broader left, the extra parliamentary left, arguing about the benefits, you know, arguing on the same terms really as the as the ruling class and arguing, you know, about how how Brexit would either benefit or not benefit the working class. When, you know, really I think, well, this is, these, are, these are obviously concerns, right? These are important concerns. Um, but it's, it's, there's not so much the... I did. There is a serious, there's a serious crisis in, you know, of of capital accumulation. To be honest, in Britain, we've you know we've had a stagnant economy in, in a long time. There is a serious crisis on the way that 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 the capitalist class and its elected representatives in the houses of parliament, um, and particularly in the Conservative Party, although the Labour Party is having its own, you know, internal crisis. You know how which how we should be ruled. Whether and and Brexit is intimately. Um, is intimately a part of that. The fact they can't pass a Brexit bill, um, you know, they can't pass a Brexit bill. Right. Uh, you know, and and that the alternative, you know, the, the, you know, but, but then seeing the alternative as we must pass a Brexit bill, no matter what, no matter the, you know, again, this was the issue before the referendum. No matter the, um, the horrible, uh, you know, the the massive rise in in um, racially motivated violence. Um, that we saw after it, you know, the, the fact that it was a justification, really, it was a referendum, not so much on the European Union, but um, on the uh, on, on immigration. And that's how it was played on immigration. And, you know, really on the far on a, on a terms that the far right have been, have been working um, to make mainstream politics for a long time. And really, it was a debate on whether you know, what is the, you know, is what is is Brexit working class or is it not working class rather than seeing it as um, a massive uh, crisis uh, in the ruling class played out in the yes. in in the space that had been opened up by the far right, and instead of trying to open up 
um, a space to the left of that, um, there has been the too much squabbling over the ground that's already there. Um, and we can see this by, you know, many, many in my local left wing group. I don't live in London. So, you know, there's a maybe slightly less diversity. The squabbles every day um, over um, over whether we should be, you know, the left in or the left out, you know, the Lexit brigade versus the, you know, let's make Europe socialist again. And, and there is simply no coming to terms, no real Marxist analysis of the situation. And this is one thing the base builders get right, because, you know, they're constantly chasing your tail, constantly chasing the next big thing doesn't leave you the time or the ability to respond um, in, 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 in these kind of ways. Right. I mean, the, the Brexit is a wonderful example, right? Uh, I mean, this is just such, such a massive crisis mm. of uh, the ruling class, um, the power block in place in the in the United Kingdom, yeah. and um, this is something the left has to see, right? You cannot just say, "Well, it's, everything's capitalism, everything's that and that." There yeah. are massive cracks right there going on, and I mean, uh, not only in the United Kingdom, it's also uh, to some extent. This changes the power relations in the, uh, in the European Union Absolutely. and it changes the, the power relations within NATO and in the Western Bloc, right? Mm. So the whole Brexit discussion is actually quite crucial for the state of Western imperialism. Absolutely. And, yeah, and we have to see, uh, you have to see those. And the same goes in a way for Turkey, where mm. we could say, well, what do elections matter? And they're going to win anyway. Uh, and and whatnot, and people are saying that. And but you see that they actually do matter, you know. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we are going to make a revolution by elections. We are not going to do that. No, I was going to do that. But uh, elections play a role in in the way the capitalist system is um, organized, right? In the in the social formation as in as a totality. Uh, elections do play an important role, or can play an important role. Uh, and in Turkey in particular, um, the current regime is trying to kind of legitimize itself by constant elections. It was the seventh election or a referendum in the last five years. Yeah. Uh, and this, this, has, this is a form of politics they're employing there. Uh, they have to. And why do they have to? You know, if, if, if Erdogan was so powerful, uh, as sometimes is portrayed in, mm. in, in, in Europe, that he is uh, ruling above every, everything and you are not allowed to say anything critical and all that. And I mean, mm. I, I've been in prison. It's, it's not that important. And then thousands of people have been in prison and yeah. still are yes. in yeah. much uh, worse conditions than I am or I have been. But, uh, you know, it, this is simply not true. There is opposition. He isn't as powerful as he seems to be. Yes, he is powerful. But uh, sometimes the left tends to fetishize those in power uh, in a way that makes them seemingly unbeatable. Um, and that is, I think, a, a huge mistake. And this has happened so often in history that the left failed to properly read uh, political change, you know, political developments that led to some form of change. In, they stayed out of the dynamics that led to that change. Yeah, and not I, always. There is, of, of course, positive examples as well. Like, uh, for example, the resistance movements in France and Italy, in particular in Greece, uh, against Nazi uh, you know, occupiers, mm. which then led in turn 
to the communist parties being very strong after the war, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, we have different forms of, of uh, or different examples, positive and negative. Yeah, and I think... I think this idea of, you know, I mean, particularly, the, the, you know, it's it's something that, I mean, like you said, with Erdogan being seen as so powerful, um, maybe someone like me who's got a few friends on the Turkish left and has read a little bit more widely, you can see that, that you know, that it's it's his constant, his alliances, he's ha- constantly having to make new alliances because he's weak. He's constantly, yeah. you know, the coup, the, the repression after the coup wasn't a show of strength. It was, it was necessarily a show of weakness. And I think, again, this is the same thing with Brexit. This shows the massive weakness. Um, of this. And I think the idea, um, I guess this is also, you know, the, 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 um, there's, there's two points I want to make. So I think, you know, something that's been hanging about this is kind of, you know, people, when you go out, when there's a political crisis, you know, that, that brings forward a, a a revolutionary situation or, you know, a revolutionary movement, you know, people aren't marching for, often marching for socialism. And also, it's not simply the working class that is marching uh, for socialism. Um, often there are many disaffected classes in Russia. This is very important. You know, this is why the, the democratic revolution started um, and was pushed further by the actions of the working class and the peasantry into a socialist revolution. It wasn't the same class um, at the very beginning that were driving those revolutions, but it was the the self-activity of the working class and the peasantry um, with the leadership of of a, um, you know, of the leadership of of several parties really at one time um, and the growing of dual power relation, you know, the growing of dual power um, institutions, you know, in the the Soviets in particular, um, that pushed this thing forward and allowed the kind of the the working classes to come out on top. Now, this is something that, you know, we've seen many revolutionaries in history where this hasn't happened. Um, and I think it's important then to, you know, that what really I think with, with base building, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a subjective element. Uh, we're, trying to, we're trying to put the subjective element that allowed us to turn February into October, perhaps in the Russian Revolution, to use a crude example, that they weren't able to do in the 1948 revolutions, but I think certainly was Marx and Engels' intention when you look at the Communist Manifesto and, and, and you know, certainly was the intention of the, of, the, of the most progressive and communist forces there. You know, they knew they weren't running into, you know, it was much more, you know, um, it was often much more like the French Revolution in that time. And that was the revolution that people were looking to. But there was this idea that something could grow out of it, that something could 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 be built from um, from that. And I think that, in my opinion, is is perhaps the, the most important reason for incorporating a, a kind of a base building strategy, which is already starting to develop on its, on its own in response to those material conditions. We have some wonderful tenants union organizing going on in the UK in particular, some wonderful grassroots unionism um, that's going on, um, but the political leadership is is so lacking. Um, the and I think this is something that in our previous discussions we've touched upon. You know the importance perhaps of a political organisation, the importance perhaps of a cadre organisation. Um, you know you're aware and uh, you have um, you know knowledge of kind of cadre based organisations in the UK who have also some experience of what we might term base building um, so what, in, in Turkey, sorry. Um, yeah. So what, what would your opinion be kind of on this? Uh, well, I mean, uh, again, just to uh, just quickly go back, the, the broad perspective in Turkey is, is, is such that uh, there is a constant crisis for four years. Right? Mm. And this is a, 
uh, it's actually a manifold crisis. There's a crisis of, well, there's an economic crisis right now, yep. com- com- which is massive, but uh, it has been has been kind of postponed for many years. It's actually lingering for years, but it has been always postponed because there was an election every year and the yep. government obviously has trouble winning elections when, when there's an economic crisis. And we see that today because it can be no longer postponed. Yeah, uh, so that's the one thing. The other thing is, there's a crisis of the state itself, which uh, exploded in the coup d'etat, or the attempted coup. Uh, and after the coup, I mean, we should not forget that, been over 100,000 state personnel released. And there's still uh, people, um, like, uh, people from the military, and uh, not so much from the police. The police is more or less, uh, has been in, in quotation marks, cleansed. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, the military, or even some, some people within, um, like the judicial apparatus, they are still now, only now, being uh, taken into custody or taken into prison. Right. Uh, oh, I so, I mean, this is a, this is a massive, um, uh, you know, change within the state apparatuses, a massive uh, change of cadres, uh, which leads to very crazy situations that people that have not a lot of experience have to step in and fill those spots. So one of the reasons why Erdogan and the AKP have to make constant alliances is that after the breakup with the so-called Gulen uh, community, uh, the Gulen yeah. clique, uh, which um, had always provided, or for a long time provided, the AKP with uh, highly trained cadres, right? Yes. Uh, mostly uh, in, in police, military, and um, all the judiciary apparatus. Yes. Um, so they were in a lack of cadres, quite openly. Mm. And the AKB doesn't have a lot of qualified cadres. They don't. Um, yeah. So Erdogan is very good in, in mobilizing the mass and the masses mm. and mobilizing and, 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 and kind of encapsulating people in his uh, project, right? He's a very good orator. Uh, he is. He's yeah. also a very good politician. That uh, I mean, for sure, right? I mean, I wouldn't like to be in his place. I mean, the, the enormous stress and the... Uh, the complexity and, and, and difficulty of the decisions that he has to make every day mm. uh, is uh, hard to imagine for us. I mean, yeah. especially now after the breakup of the, uh, of the alliance with the Gulen community, I mean, he has to basically every day, he has to uh, kind of balance the, the, the alliance that not only did the open alliance with the with the fascist MH, MHP, also the alliance, the interstate alliances with different factions in the military and the police apparatuses and all that, uh, which is much more clouded. We don't know very well what kind of groups there are there, but we know there are some kind of groups and they don't agree on many things. And historically, uh, they've been very powerful in 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 Turkey. The deep in state, the army. of course, the deep state. Uh, I yes. mean, it's it's uh, it has been. It has killed so many politicians, right? Also, yeah. a ruling politicians. I mean, it also has killed, obviously, a lot of leftists and Kurds. But yes, uh, it also has uh, brought down, uh, sent to prison, killed, sent into exile, a whole lot of uh, politicians of the ruling class. Yes. So he, yes. uh, I think, this this man fears or has to expect an uh, attempt to kill him every day, right? Yeah. Um, from within the state, not from the opposition, not from the people, right? Uh, but from within the state. And uh, so he, the people that he's working with uh, are very well or might very well be the people 
who uh, could stab his back very soon. Yes. So uh, this is an enormous um, pressure. But on the other hand, it, it shows you how fragile these alliances are, actually. Uh, and this is why we have this, um, this constant crisis uh, that isn't, isn't solved, right? And they try to solve it with elections all the time, uh, but it just doesn't work out. The thing is, after this election, there should not be another election for four and a half years. But uh, with the result as it is right now, and I mean, I, I cannot follow, it's still going on and will go on until the whole night, probably. Yes. Uh, yeah. The opposition is not giving up on Istanbul. Yeah. Um, at least not for now. Um, and I mean, if Istanbul falls as well, I mean, this is an open crisis of the regime. Uh, I don't know how they are going to rule tomorrow, if that mm -hmm. is the case. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, of course, puts the question of another election on, on the agenda, right? Yeah. And the people are obviously fed up because what they are more promised was, like, vote for us. You might not like us or you might be unhappy with some of the things that we did, but vote for us and you will have stability. Yeah. But yeah, there yeah. is no stability for years. And this leads... To large swaths of the population, here is where I'm going to tie this to dual power and base building. Mm. Uh, large swaths of the population uh, have become dissociated to some extent from the state mm -hmm. and from the state apparatuses, and of course from the regime. But yes. the thing is that the, the, the majority of the opposition still today uh, is somehow involved with some factions within the state, right? It's yes. not anti-state. And generally, they can always uh, come together on uh, opposing the Kurdish movement and the left yes. uh, for the sake of the state. But more and more, um, you know, as he, uh, the, the AKP and Erdogan, try to get hold of the state apparatuses and uh, phase out uh, the opposition, at least, you know, some parts of the opposition. Yes. And on the other hand, uh, as long as this crisis uh, proceeds, uh, the people get dissociated from the state apparatuses. Like everyone knows that the, uh, the, the legal system is broken. It's, it's broken and everyone would need a reliable legal system. Yeah. The legal system in Turkey is such today, it's, it's like, the problem is not that it is a harsh, uh, repressive uh, legal system. It's not that there are terror laws in place that basically, if needed to outlaw most uh, of the political opposition, if needed to, as I said. Yeah. Uh, that's not the problem. That You can't have that. The problem is that no one knows, that there's no reliable standard, right? So you ha might have the same state's attorney or the same judge deciding that distributing a newspaper is terrorism or terrorist propaganda today, and yeah. tomorrow he decides that it isn't. Yeah. And this is what, like, no one knows in the whole system knows what to do. Like, if the rules are clear, you can, you know, act according to those rules. Yes. Uh, however harsh they are. But there's nothing clear. At this point, no one really knows why they are taken into prison, why they are released. I don't either. Like, mm -hmm. it was ridiculous that we were taken to prison, and the way we were released was ridiculous as well. Absolutely. Like, there was no justification for the imprisonment, there was no justification for the release. Um, and this is a huge problem for large swaths of the population, not just for the left, not just for the workers, not just for the poor, for large swaths of the population. Yes. And there's the next thing is the problem of 
uh, ethnic and religious minorities in yes. Durban, um, where obviously you have the Kurdish population, but you also have uh, the Alevi population, uh, Arab Alevi population, the Arab uh, Alevis, mm-hmm. uh, who are not really represented in any way by the state anymore, right? And uh, the Alevi population, while they generally are, they're leftist and secular, uh, but large parts of the Alevi population um, somehow relied on some forces, some factions within the state, uh, the laicist secular forces, to protect them against, uh, you know, extreme Sunni violence. But yes. extreme Sunni violence is not religious violence, it's also a violence stirred up by some other faction within the state, right? And this is not um, a crazy belief that this might happen. This is not like Islamophobia or whatever, because it has happened so often in Turkish history that this is uh, a real problem of the Alibi populations. There have been massacres where hundreds of people have been killed yeah. by a radicalized mob that was radicalized on the base of religious reasons. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the rhetoric was not everybody. Um, and so what they were expecting was from the military and parts of the police to protect them against these kind of mobs. But more and more, um, and this led to them voting for, you know, Kemalist opposition uh, or Kemalist parties and not yeah. for the left or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, this also has uh, declined rapidly. Um but it's not just that. It's like uh, well, you know, diehard Kemalists who want to continue with their lifestyle. Like uh, women want to um, get dressed as they want. Mm. They want to drink alcohol, not just women. Every you know this segment of the population. They want yes. to drink alcohol whatever they want. They want to talk the way they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not in itself uh, particularly revolutionary a demand, but this demand is more and more threatened by the state of affairs. Yes. Um, and obviously women in general. I mean, there's a woman killed every day, uh, actually more, it's like 400 a year by now, uh, by her husband, her boyfriend, her father, her brother, her cousin. Um, and and this, there's this so is massively increased under the AKP, if I'm, if I'm right in saying. Massively increased, even within the last years, yeah. yeah. So the, the general uh, social violence in the last years has increased enormously, and it is especially against women, and also, is interestingly enough, Against animals, against oh. cats and dogs. That's it's it's a horrifying thing to say. And I think this is in particular when you have um, the judiciary, the legal system, which is um, uh, well in in a state of deep crisis. Where is that? Where where is the the justice? I mean, this is something that um, right. that is not so much touched on, I think, um, by the base building tendency in the UK and the US. Um, but there are antecedents, particularly in the UK, um, that I might talk about a little bit later. But actually, the the, the how justice, you know, um, when you ha- when you live in a situation such as you've described, where there is, and and in a situation in the US, particularly um, uh, the black and Latino and, and minority ethnicities, also LGBT people, particularly trans people at the moment, um, the legal system does not help them. It is completely designed, you know, from its very inception. Um, to marginalize them and to, you know, kind of keep them down, keep them um, in their place um, and not to protect them. 
And when you have, uh, you know, this is one of the things that I think is missing in a lot of the base building discussions is, you know, where is uh, where is where is the justice? Where is there a kind of a community based system of resolving disputes between neighbors, be they domestic violence, be they, um, you know, theft, you know, and and all the way up to community self-defense against fascism in the police state. Um, And and this is something I mean, you know, this is something I, I think I can see in in the turkish context um it's very necessary w- would i be right in saying that yeah i mean i i think i got a phone call and so it was cut off for a moment oh um, sorry yeah uh what what i was uh, trying to say was um that those uh, all those social dynamics or th- those social segments which are increasingly uh, it dies with what you said anyway uh, that are increasingly dissociating from the state for several reasons. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, but mostly the state does not cover their most basic demands. And very often this is demand for, uh, demand f- for life, right? For women yeah. or for uh, minorities. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as a second instance, uh, much more um, like progressive demands, like the right to live their culture, which is obviously in a way also a demand for uh, for the survival of that particular uh, belief system called culture or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so if the state does not no longer provide them with, with or doesn't even cover their basic demands, they turn somewhere else. They necessarily have to do that by themselves. And yes. this is, for example, where the strength of the women's movement in Turkey comes from. And mm. uh, you know, one of the most uh, talked about concepts in within the women's movement at large is self-defense. And mm. um, obviously, if they get killed every day, if they get beaten up every day, uh, this means uh, quite simply physical self-defense. Yep. But beyond that, also uh, as a general uh, political approach, uh, organizing oneself, mm. and just learning like martial art techniques, organizing themselves, uh, creating institutions, uh, creating, uh, raising consciousness, uh, mm. and so on and so on, um, or which also all fall in, in some way or another under the header of self-defense. And I think yes. that's, uh, that's a correct assessment. Um, so what they realize, the women's movement realizes that, uh, they have themselves to provide for their most basic needs. Yes. The right to live, uh, and then you know the right to to live as women, as the way they want, uh, to mm. freely dress the way they want. You know that might be wearing a uh, a headscarf, or it might be not wearing a headscarf. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of um, well. Also, there's some some conflict with the classic left, which is much more secular oriented, and um, you know it says like women should not be wearing headscarves. Yeah. And the women's movement today is like, you are not going to decide what we wear. Uh, women are going to decide what they wear. And if that's a headscarf, that's a headscarf. Yeah. If it's not a headscarf, it's not a headscarf. Uh, that's our, uh, that's not um, the man's decision, uh, even if they're left-wing. It's not yes. theirs. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so that's, I think, a very, very important thing as well. Um, yeah, and the same goes for... Um, the Kurds, obviously, Kurdish population. It goes mm. for Alevis. It goes for uh, Arabic Alevis, mm-hmm. uh, and it also goes uh, to some extent for for workers, of course. 
I mean, mm. there are some adaptive work, workers' corporations uh, and other forms of, um, well, consumer and producer corporations in Turkey, even though they're a little bit underdeveloped as of now. Yes. But it is interesting that with the economic crises and with the high inflation rate and uh, literally some basic goods, um, you know, food, uh, becoming very expensive. Uh, the discussion of co- co- um, of corporations and uh, corrupt corporate associations uh, increased a lot. So you see that people realize they don't have expect to expect anything from that despotic state, which is not um, despotic since the AKP is in government. This is a long tradition of an oppressive despotic state yes. opposed against society. Um, but it has its moments of incorporating partially society into its own uh, realm. And with the crises going on now, uh, this incorporation decreases. And this is where base building attempts come into play. Um, for example, what, what I've also been uh, you know, supportive of and, and, and some you know, friends and comrades that have been engaged there, I've been uh, supporting them, you know, just a little contribution. Yes. Uh, summer schools for uh, poorer children, for f- children of poorer families. Yeah. Or um, a founding of neighborhood cultural centers um, where the neighbors or, or, or the people living in the neighborhood come together uh, to, to, to organize very basic uh, activities of daily life. Um, movie screenings and discussions. Um, cooking food together, yeah. Uh, learning instruments, uh, women's choirs, which is, uh, I think, very beautiful for Turkey, that women mm. uh, who are very often confined to the house and the kitchen uh, come together to have their own choirs where they express themselves, which raises their uh, self-confidence, and which is also, I think, in a way, a form of self-defense of women. Absolutely, uh, definitely. And also, for example, in, in neighborhoods where that is, or in regions where that is a demand, um, native language classes, like yes. in, in, in the province of Hatay, that you have uh, Arab, uh, Arabic classes for Arab Balevi uh, children, mm. um, or Arabic theater, right? So that you kind of, uh, you don't expect large sums of, of, of state cultural institutions to support it. They won't support it. So you have to find your own way to do that. Do, um, you know, uh, kind of do art and, and, and music in, uh, in your native language. The Kurdish movement has been very good at doing that. They have provided Kurdish classes for a long time, obviously for a very long time. Yes. And they've organized a Kurdish um, a cultural activities in Kurdish and all that. Uh, key demand in the peace in the peace processes. Right, and I mean, I mean, the Kurdish movement has been so strong that uh, there have been private schools opening that uh, do teach in Kurdish, and there have been only private schools though. And yes. there has been uh, a couple of universities that have Kurdish programs, right? Yes. Uh, no such thing exists for Arab Alevis uh, so far, for example. Mm. Um, I mean, that has to do with the political strengths of the of the Kurdish movement, yes. but. Um, you don't, the thing is, and I think it's a very beautiful example in a way as well, because if you can take something from the state, like Kurdish classes, um, you know, Kurdish um, departments in universities, or um, 
this coaching is cool, of course you take it. But yeah. this is not what you rely on. You rely on your own work, on your own base building, on your own um, organizing. You organize it themselves. And if then the state comes and also provides Kurdish classes, fine. Uh, but you don't give up on what you uh, did in the neighborhood. You don't give up on your popular organizing. So th- I think this is crucial for base building uh, and, and organizations and movements that engage in these kind of uh, counter-hegemonic initiatives and base building initiatives. At times, you might very well, um, you know, uh, sit down with the state or uh, other institutions of the ruling class of state and capital. Uh, You might even uh, form alliances, like in regional elections, right? You can Mm -hmm. do that. But you never give up on your independence uh, and on, 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 you know, independence from state and capital in your organization. As soon as you give up on that, and even if, for example, you would be on your own ticket or on the ticket of a relatively left organization, be elected into parliament, Mm. as has happened with the HDP. Uh, And some, I think, organizations within the HDP have made the mistake to say, okay, we are now in parliament, we are now doing serious politics, and we don't have to worry about the neighborhood organizing stuff. And And that obviously didn't happen now, that happened in 2015, when the HDP was rising, uh, and was, uh, you know, rising, and everyone said, like, okay, that's it, we will have a democratic transition in Turkey, Uh, and they have given up on, on those kind of base building or groundwork organizing long uh, before, and now they're paying the price for it. Yeah. Because uh, what, the parliamentary struggle can, uh, it might, uh, you know, advance in a positive way, and then the state repression might set in, and you get pushed back. And when that happens, you have to rely on your everyday organizing. Yeah, you have to rely on your base. You have to rely on the base that... Um, that sustains you. I think I, I think this conversation we've been going for about 80 minutes and this is a good yeah. time to kind of conclude um, on, on that point. Um, we, just, we discussed that we were going to do oh, 45 minutes to an hour and obviously we've gone many different places, but I think it's been a, a very, very good conversation. I think that is a really key insight that, yes, you may have to make um, alliances, you know, uh, you do have to fight in the electoral field sometimes, um, and on the political field and on the kind of protest um, field as well. Um, but it's the base that, that that sustains you and it's that connection to your base that sustains you. Um, how you go about doing that, how you go about sustaining that um, is increasingly important. And I really welcome the, the development of the Marxist Centre and the fact that this debate is yeah. being brought into the UK. We at the Lever have tried, I think, um, in the past to... to entering these discussions but it's it's now coming um across and if anybody hasn't um i really urge them to read the the recent essay published on on medium called crisis and mobilization in the uk um by i cosigan um i will probably link i'll make some show notes and i will link their twitter left here there's a lot interesting uh, in there um that we, we haven't really had a chance to get onto today um yeah yeah Unfortunately, no, 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 no. We, we, it's, it's been a, um, a really 
um, fantastic uh, discussion today. But um, I want to say thank you so much. Um, well, thank you. And um, yeah, well, really, uh, greetings uh, to all the comrades and everyone struggling and organizing in the United Kingdom and the United States. Um, it's so important that we have these international relations because we are not very strong as of now and we have to lift us up um, and not, you know, you know, kind of bring us down. Right? This is not the time to um, engage in too much uh, infighting, I think. I mean, obviously, there's always the need for healthy critique. But right now, we have to lift us up and, and grow stronger all together. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Max. And thank you, everybody, for listening.